When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the summer of 1985, one of the most influential sci-fi comedies ever made landed in theaters nationwide and took moviegoers on a time-traveling thrill ride while shattering box office expectations. This 80s flick sparked a trilogy that, like most, has its hits and misses, but is still one of the most beloved trilogies in cinematic history. So let's all climb into the DeLorean, check the flux capacitor, and let's get this sucker up to 88 miles per hour as I'm joined by a panel of dapper and distinguished co-hosts to discuss the Back to the Future trilogy on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. In 1985, Dr. Emmett Brown discovered time travel. And started an amazing story. Gotta be a dream. Sent back to 1955. He's a peeping Tom. Marty runs into his father and makes quite an impression on his mother. Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd set out on the adventure that will span 130 years. Are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear? Precisely. Whoa, this is heavy. You've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the future. Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, and welcome to the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Here we talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind the scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And go ahead and check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com, for more great 80s content. Now... Let's jump right into this episode. Thanks for listening. It's okay, I'm both for both of us. All right, well, welcome in, everybody. Thanks for being a part of this very special episode of the podcast as we talk about one of the uh, most favorite and beloved movies of the 80s. Uh, and because of that, and because we're celebrating two years of being a podcast, and because it's a season finale of this season, we're talking about Back to the Future with a panel of, as I said, dapper and distinguished guests. Liar! <laughs> 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 uh, 
one does not agree. I don't know if he's talking about himself or someone else in the group, but we'll get to that. Offended. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll go around the table and introduce everybody. So starting to my left, your right, or what? your right, my left. How is it there? They have no direction. It is the, neither their right nor their left, sir. <laughs> right. We have Mr. Charlie Cotter. Welcome in, Charlie. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here, and I am not on your right. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> they didn't know that. Thanks for spilling it. Uh, to his left is Mr. Chad Shepard. Hello, and I'm just not good with confrontation. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And then uh, to his left, my right, Laramie Wells. Uh, time travel drives me crazy. There's a whiteboard in this room. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I know what that means. <laughs> Besides, I, I was like, that won't work on a podcast, and you have a podcast, so you should know I that. I still have to explain it. <laughs> and to his left and my immediate right, his lovely wife, Miss Bethany Wells. Hello, and nobody calls me chicken. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're going to have fun with this one. This may be a little bit of a different uh, – well, it'll somewhat follow the same format. We're going to take a little bit of liberties um, as we go through. And I'm also going to have other co-hosts that will pop in on the recording that will share some of their favorite memories of the Back to the Future movies as well. So stay tuned for that. So uh, let's jump right in. Everyone will answer this question. And we'll start with, I'll go the other way, we'll start with Bethany. When did you see Back to the Future for the very first time? Well, you know, I'm a very young person, and so I was born after the movie came out. Mm -hmm. I just grew up watching it. Yeah. Like, I, I don't remember a time when I never saw Back to the Future. Just the first one, I don't remember the first time, I just grew up watching it. Okay, it was just, it was on when it you were born. It was just on in the room. <laughs> cool. All right, what about you, Laramie? Uh, this one had to have been like a blockbuster rental. Mm -hmm. I know I didn't see this one in theaters, but I'm pretty sure it had to be a blockbuster rental because I also don't think it was on television when I saw it. Okay. Gotcha. Chad? It had to have been, um, I had a gentleman who had HBO back in the day and would record on VHS tapes. Mm -hmm. And it, it had to, it was Back to the Future, it was Star Trek Four, and it was Soggy Bottoms USA. <laughs> and I watched all to three. But to round out the trilogy. We all had that VHS, yeah. I don't know why he did that order, but... Uh, Let's see, comedy, sci-fi, sci-fi, and I don't know what the third movie is. Some weird West Virginia type country the guy from um part three okay we'll talk about later oh yeah, he's yeah in soggy bottoms usa he's one of the, the bar oh guys. you know what i know what we were talking about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i can honestly say i saw that in the theater <laughs> oh, wow. um yes Humble uh yes oh my gosh i totally forgot about that. that's gonna go on my forgotten 80s flicks on you on uh on uh tiktok so moving on <laughs> charlie what about you so uh, I would say I was a lot like Bethany watching this for the first time past its release date. So it was just on TV. Mm -hmm. I couldn't pin down an exact point, but just right. grew up with it being on. Gotcha. So probably in this group, Chad and I are probably the only two that were probably old enough to see it in the theater when it came out, probably, right? Right. I was six. Okay. Wow. I am the oldest yeah. person in this room. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Not by a whole lot, but still. But yeah, so so yeah, so that that explains a lot. But I did. I saw this in the theater. Um, I don't think I saw it the weekend it came out. It came out around Fourth of July, but I saw it shortly thereafter. But this is one of the few movies as a kid 
I saw twice in the theater. And uh, a little behind the scenes trivia, Chad and I actually did an episode on this movie back in the very beginning of this mm-hmm. podcast, mm-hmm. but we had issues with it just, it. we had audio issues that it never saw the light of day. Uh, so I, I'm like, I feel like I've told the story before because I did. I told it to Chad, who's yeah. in this. <laughs> this. I thought it sounded familiar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but I remember, see, I remember going to see this movie and absolutely loved it the first time I saw it. And then I went to a friend of mine's birthday party, like maybe a week or two later. And after the birthday party, mom was like, "Hey, I want to take a few guys, few of you guys to the movie theater. What do you, who do you want to go see?" And so me and one of the other kids had seen Back to the Future already, and we wanted to see it again. And the kid whose birthday it was wanted to go see Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> what do you think it is, your birthday? Yeah, I was like, you don't get what you want. We're going to see Back to the Future. And so uh, I, remember, I remember we all went to go see Back to the Future, and, and after it was over, we came to the theater. I was like, you're glad we saw this, right? He was like, oh, man, it was so good. So uh, it was a win. I did not mean to manipulate him. I just strongly encouraged him to see something else. But... Um, We'll talk we about all know you're a diva, Tim. Yeah, I, I get what I want, so I have him on podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, how long had it been since you watched it before rewatching it for the podcast? We'll go this way, Charlie. Um, not too long. Um, I would say that this is probably my favorite '80s movie, um, just as a whole. Mm-hmm. So, I would say you start to finish. It's been probably a while, but mm-hmm. scenes, rewatching scenes, picking up when it's on TV. Mm-hmm. I'd say. Fairly recently. Okay, cool. What about you, Chad? I would say probably. Uh, I got married two years ago, so before that, I would watch it every other week almost. <laughs> it's, it's, it's my favorite movie yeah, of all time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, with the wife uh, not wanting to watch it as much as I do, probably uh, <laughs> about a year ago, probably. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Laramie. I'm really having a hard time thinking of what it was. <laughs> it was probably when we introduced it to Ruby. Was it? Yeah, which was like in the last like year to two years. It's one of those movies mm-hmm. he and I watched as a kid, so we're like, it's fine. Oh yeah, yeah, it's fine <laughs> <laughs> and for how, a kid. And how old is Ruby again? Yeah. She's eight now. <laughs> it's the it's the underlying context that's yeah. the, the, <laughs> a little the bigger bigger <laughs> issue. Right, than, right. It's the once you get as an adult, you go like, wait, what is his plan? Wait, why Why does he think this is the best idea to get his dad? Uh, right. Why is that his initial thought? <laughs> why weren't there more options for him to choose yeah. from? What is the <laughs> best case scenario? Was George really bird watching? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's not get into that part yet. <laughs> so two years for both of y'all? Ish. About, yeah, somewhere about, I guess in so. there. It's one of those... Though, like we're kind of all saying, like you've seen it so many yeah. times. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That it's hard to really. I mean, you have it playing probably in your head all the time. <laughs> so, yeah. I have the music in my head a lot. Yeah. So, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I'm skateboarding behind a truck, it's that song, <laughs> "Power of Love," is going yeah. through my head. That's one scene where, as a kid, I was like, "Man, I can't wait That's to do the that." Coolest thing. And ever. I never did because skateboards are scary. Yeah. Yeah. I had enough. I had enough damage on a skateboard not being pulled behind a truck. Apparently it's illegal too. Probably, oh, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, probably because you could die. Yeah. Oh yeah, and no helmets or knee pads or shoulder pads <laughs> or elbow pads. Probably not shoulder pads. Marty didn't wear none of that stuff. No, <laughs> no, well, he, no. But he did have that life preserver vest on. Yeah. <laughs> A little cushion. I do love the the jokes about the navy. Yeah. It still makes me laugh. He's yeah. on it. Uh, yeah. So when did you get in port? Uh, so. uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a while for me. Like. 
I remember uh, I did not have the trilogy on VHS. I know I had the original on VHS, but when it got to DVD, I bought the trilogy on DVD, but then I was a real movie snob and realized when I bought it, it was the full screen and not the widescreen. Oh, I couldn't, oh, no. oh no. good. I'm surrounded by other movies. Burn stuff. it Thank down. You. <laughs> One thing I hate explaining to people when I worked at Blockbuster. Yeah. I don't want you, black bars, so you don't want to see all the movies. Right. I don't like this one because um, you can see the whole thing. And <laughs> it's not kind of blurry. Right. You know? It helps when you don't watch it on a 13-inch TV. That's <laughs> but uh, did it also feature pan and scan? Oh, oh that's the worst. Oh. That's the worst. So. Multiplicity. Wait, raise your uh, hand oh, if you that. worked at Blockbuster. That's yeah, that's what I three, figured. Three of the five three in the room five. raise their hand. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to start their own podcast, Stories from Blockbuster. Right. <laughs> They're Block- making a sitcom. I saw yeah. that. I'm so excited. I saw that on, I saw a picture yesterday. So much nostalgia. Uh, Alan Park. Uh, the guy from yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, Ant-Man, yeah. and he's on the the Young Rock show right now. Yeah, and he's then, so funny. Uh, and Melissa, I can't even relate, but she was on uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So yeah. with oh. both of them, I'm, yeah. I'm looking for Kimura. Kimura is Kimura. Yeah. So uh, Charlie's just not Randall Park. Yeah. Randall, <laughs> Randall Park. Park. I was like, something's yeah. wrong Park about was that right. name. Park was right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Uh, but anyway, back to my, uh, let's see. Sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> you're good. It's, it's all part of the process. Um so yeah, so I, I ended up selling that trilogy DVD to a friend of mine because I couldn't return it. Sucker. I know, and he was like, "Oh, it's great." I was like, "I refuse to watch this in <laughs> non-widescreen." So I I didn't buy it until probably right when I felt like before we started when I started the podcast, watching it for hmm. when we were going to rewatch it for the initial episode in 2020. I found I got a digital copy, pretty cheap, um, which now I still want the Blu-ray, uh, you know, physical copy because. The digital copy doesn't have any of the behind the scenes or uh, deleted scenes and stuff. So, but so it had been two years. I'd watched, I watched, I watched all of the first one. I think I started part two at that point because we first did the first episode. We were just talking about Back to the Future, the first one, so not the whole thing. So, uh, so yeah. So it's been two years uh, since I watched it. So. Why I love Back to the Future. Time travel movies represent the ultimate what if. What if you could change your past, or just the past in general? You would have the opportunity to fix that one thing that nags at you, or alter history in some unknowable way. They represent the ultimate in fantasy that doesn't involve galaxies far, far away, or lands filled with rings or dragons. Time travel is one of the more romanticized of fantasies, and as some of our most fun or terrifying of ideals, and my love affair of this genre started by one movie. In 1986, my parents rented this movie for us, and I watched it, and I was utterly enraptured. I don't remember exactly how many times I watched it that weekend, but it was definitely more than twice, I'm sure much to the chagrin of my parents. Michael J. Fox was at the height of his family ties and Teen Wolf power. And he was a favorite in our house. The mix of humor, sci-fi, and time travel. The storylines that an eight-year-old me wouldn't understand for years, but they spoke to me. Three years later, the sequel was released, and my family went to see that in the theater. A year after that, the other sequel was released, and we went to see that one as well. Now when I watch the one, I have to watch all three. 
Later in the summer of 1990, there was a family trip to Universal Studios in California, and we actually got to see the Back to the Future sets. I even got picked out of the audience to sit in the DeLorean. If I wasn't already a lifelong fan, I was hooked then. I love all these, all three of these movies, and for me, they represent some of the best examples of the time travel genre. The chemistry between Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd works on a level that few other movies have. There's a reason that this franchise stands leaps and bounds ahead of other franchises, and it is evident every time I rewatch these films. I just, I love the Back to the Future franchise, and I cannot say enough good things about it. And now, these messages. <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR. But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. Now playing on a cell phone near you. A show for all the manly men out there. Where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man. Featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody is not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) And a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. We're not going to talk a lot about story origin and pre-production like I'd normally do because that would eat up most of this podcast yeah. time. Uh, but I will refer you to the movies that made us on Netflix, as we were just talking about Netflix. Such a good documentary. Yeah. So they cover everything so well. I'm really not even going to... I, I'm going to read just a small, very broad strokes, uh, you know, few sentence paragraph just so there's something on here. But I refer you to that to watch if you want to see all the behind-the-scenes uh, information about the uh how this movie came to be so but it was conceived in uh, 1980 by bob gale and robert Semeckis. they were desperate for a successful film after numerous collaborative failures but their idea was rejected over 40 times by studios because it was not considered raunchy enough to compete with the successful comedies of the era a development deal was secured following Zemeckis's success directing romancing the stone in 84. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about casting. Michael J. Fox, of course, was the first choice to play Marty McFly. Galen Zemeckis believed his acting timing in the sitcom Family Ties as a sophisticated Alex P. Keaton would be translated to Marty's clumsiness. Spielberg asked the show's producer, Gary David Goldberg, to have Fox read the script. Concerned, Fox's absence would damage Family Ties' success, especially with fellow star Meredith Baxter absent from maternity leave. Goldberg did not give Fox the script. Other young stars who were considered included this is a good list john cusack c thomas howell johnny depp ralph macchio charlie sheen john cryer ben stiller 
Uh, Peter DeLuise, Billy Zane, George Newbern, Robert Downey Jr., and Matthew Modine. Wow. That's a good list. Yeah. Yeah. But none of them are better than Michael J. Fox. Exactly. (laughs) That was a good list. And Peter DeLuise. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Shame. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think it came down, I think, uh, Howell and Cusack were the, and, um, of course, who who originally was cast was uh, Eric Stoltz. Uh, they were the real front runners uh, behind Michael J. Fox when he couldn't do it. But of course, Zemeckis and Gale were not as impressed with uh, Eric Stoltz as the producer. But he was—they were promised that they could not use Stoltz if it didn't work out, which of course it didn't. And we're not going to dig into that part once again. It's part of movies that made us. You can get all that backstory there. And we still would not have seen any footage. Oh, Eric Stoltz. No, 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 no. Wait. Eric Stoltz is still in the movie. Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. there's one scene. You can see one back his scene bangs. Of the back <laughs> of his head. <laughs> the back of his head. Or th- he did punch Boo. That's right? what we're yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that scene is still, it's still, still there. Stoltz. He's, yeah. he's the one that punches Biff. Trust me, Laramie made me watch that part four times <laughs> until I finally said, yeah, I know, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I still, when I watched it, Yesterday, I watched that scene a little bit closely, and I was like, I still can't. I mean, you can't tell it's you, Eric. Stoltz. You really can't tell. But you can tell it's someone who's a foot taller Tall. than Michael J. Fox. <laughs> but that could be explained with like a stunt double because he's punching somebody. Right. So, eh. yeah. But, okay. Michael so, Michael J. Fox ended up taking the, was able to take the role. Uh, they had to make a deal with uh, Family Ties uh, producer Goldberg because he had to basically. Family Ties still had to be his primary job, so he would film Family Ties during the day and then fly or drive to the other part of California to film Back to the Future at night, which is why most of the scenes take place at night or on the weekends. The only time they could film any of the day shots was during the weekends. So uh, Michael J. Fox has said, and I read his autobiography several years ago, and he talked about how it was very hard because he basically got like no sleep, but he also said that was the age I was and I knew it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up so he just he's like I wasn't going to get much sleep anyway so I might as well be working and work on two things that I loved at the same time so and it worked out so uh, moving on to Christopher Lloyd as Doc Brown another I'm sorry we can't move on okay go ahead what are we talking about? Michael J. Fox is an American treasure. Oh, yes. Yeah, he's... Add him to the list. Technically, he's a Canadian treasure. Well, I do not care. We already have Canadians on the list. It doesn't matter. Rick Moranis no. <laughs> is on the list I do not well. care. I do not care where he comes from. <laughs> he's a beautiful... So, I, And I will say, like, I remembered watching this movie when I was a child. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that I had a crush on him. I just didn't realize that when I'm four. (laughs) (laughs) He's so charming and just delightful. And I just, isn't he sweet? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Every husband loves to hear his wife gush about another person. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) He plays the high school kid really well because you Mm -hmm. see in a lot of TV shows and movies now they hire, you know, 27-year-olds to play high schoolers. Yeah. But he has that. You know, innocent, kind of whiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Mentality yeah. behind him, and he does that really well. But yeah. he was what twenty three. Yeah, I think something yeah. like that. Yeah. This is somewhat off subject, but we'll stay on subject. So, we all know that Tom Holland is famous for playing Peter Parker in Spider Man movies, mm-hmm. and I especially noticed it in the most recent one, Far From Home. But I'm like, Tom Holland is today's is Michael, today's J. Michael J. J. Fox. Yes, I'm like, absolutely. if they were not that we ever want them to remake this movie, but if they were going to, 
Tom Holland would be the only choice, but he's only got like another two or three years to do that because he's starting to look older now, but yeah. he's still got that youthful voice and You, you almost innocence. half expect Tom Holland's voice to crack when he's talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, same with Michael J. Fox too. I well, think. he's yeah. good a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they could remake it and make it the uh, the musical. <laughs> yeah, because there's a Back to the Future musical now. There is, yeah, yeah. Heck yeah, <laughs> that might be okay. You can move on now. Okay, thank you. No, good, good place to stop. And, and for correction, he's a North American treasure, so Canada's included. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Bethany's TM only covers American treasures. <laughs> I, I apologize to our international audience. Okay, moving on. Uh, Christopher Lloyd is Doc Brown, so here's another list of uh, potential Doc Browns, which I thought was interesting. Jeff Goldblum, John Lithgow, Dudley Moore, Ron Silver, Robin Williams, John Cleese, Mandy Patinkin, Gene Hackman, and James Woods were considered for the role of Doc Brown. That's an even better list than the last one. And Ron Silver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how Ron Silver <laughs> made that list That's all. a really random choice. Yeah. And Ron Silver. He was in Time Cop. Yeah, that's the only movie I can reference Ron Silver in. <laughs> I was honestly, he was good, but he was in yeah, Time he's a good villain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, even Mandy Patinkin is an interesting choice. I just don't see Patinkin, you know. Oh, he would commit to it 100%. He would be obnoxious. Yeah. And then Robin Williams, you wouldn't be able to keep him within the oh, confines of the script, so probably. Good. It would have been a totally different movie. I still think they would have done a great job. Yeah. But totally different dynamic between Marty yeah. and Doc. Yeah. Well, Lithgow was the first choice. Oh, Lithgow would have been right there with Christopher yeah. Lloyd, I think. So Lithgow actually couldn't do it. He was already committed to other projects, I think. Yeah, Lithgow or Goldblum. Yeah. Yeah. So but Lithgow actually recommended Christopher Lloyd because they had worked on Buckaroo Banzai in 84. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about on the TV when I was born. It was Buckaroo Banzai? Was that what you said? And Jeff mm-hmm. Goldblum's in it. Jeff Goldblum? Yeah. yeah. Um, and Robocop. Yeah. Isn't that Robocop? Yeah, he's Buckaroo Banzai. He's Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought we were talking about, like, uh, we're still talking about uh, get Jeff Goldblum. Like, Jeff Goldblum no, is not Robocop. No, yeah. I'm talking about yeah. Buckaroo, yeah. the actor who played Robocop. <laughs> yes, Peter Weller. Yes, I'm with you now. And I was going to say, I have confession. I don't think I've ever seen Buckaroo Banzai all the way through. I've never been able to make it through it. It's good, hard, but. It's good. Yeah. yeah. It's quirky. I don't know if yeah. I'm... It, it, I, I have to be in the right mindset to sit okay. down and watch it, I think. But anyway, so I said Lithgow was unavailable. It was offered to Lloyd. Uh, Christopher Lloyd was reluctant to join the production until a friend and his wife encouraged him to take the part. And he's actually the one that decided to say gigawatt instead... Or said gigawatt instead of gigawatt. Uh, <laughs> which there's this big debate of which is correct. Depends on who you ask. So any other thoughts about Christopher Lloyd? American Treasure. <laughs> He's not quite on that list, oh. but He's I do love him. Up. He's, He's so Professor good. Plum. <laughs> he is. Yes, from Clue. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But, but he has just he has just embodied that character. Oh, oh yeah. All these years. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. From from the ride down in Universal mm-hmm. to uh, when he and uh, the Bob cartoon, Dick, oh, yeah. the cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He would do the intros, the intros to the cartoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say though, like we have the Back to the Future on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. And seeing him in that makeup at the beginning where he's the old man makeup, Mm -hmm. it's gross. (laughs) (laughs) It looks weird. Yeah. Yeah. And then in part two where he comes a little older? What are you talking about? Well, because, you know, in the beginning and the end of the movie, they've got like old man makeup on him to make him look older. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. Watch it on Blu-ray. 
Yeah. <laughs> it not pretty. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about, you know, we talked about before, like watching stuff on uh, on VHS on our old boob tube TVs. At, you know, stuff didn't have to be as clean as it is now. <laughs> uh, so Leah Thompson uh, as Lorraine McFly. The filmmakers became aware of Leah Thompson while researching Stoltz and the comedy drama The Wildlife in 84. Uh, Thompson was also 23 years old when she took the role of Lorraine McFly, but the opening scene said in the present day required her to appear 47 years old. On the days that Thompson was shooting these scenes, she had to sit in the makeup chair for three hours while the effects were being applied. Uh, she once said that she terrified her mother when she came home still in the makeup. <laughs> yeah, she looks rough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've seen, like, I think it's probably a YouTube video or TikTok video of, like, they show, like, Leah Thompson and her makeup, how she would look as older, and then showing what she looks like now. It's like, yeah, you didn't get that right at all. <laughs> no. No, Leah Thompson almost still looks the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And I know we're only talking about the first movie, but... Um, oh, the second Elizabeth movie. Elizabeth Shue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. She looked bad. Doesn't age. No. Yeah. No. No. Uh, then we'll talk about Crispin Glover as George McFly. Do we have to? That's one only. <laughs> Good old Crispin Glover, yeah. No. Do we have to? Uh, he used many of his own mannerisms in portraying George McFly. Uh, Bob Gale described his performance as, quote-unquote, nuts, and Zemeckis was reportedly unhappy with Glover's performance choices and instructed him to be more restrained as the older George. Uh, Glover also mentioned that he lost his voice because he was so nervous during filming that he later had to redub some of his lines uh, after filming was done. And then there's, you know, also know that uh, Crispin Glover and Michael J. Fox had worked together. He was in a couple episodes of Family Ties and also did a, like a TV movie. Was it? It's not Midnight. No, it was High School USA or something. Oh. Some of oh, yeah. that. Uh, that you can find on the you can find online. I once again I made it like fifteen minutes in. And I was like, this movie yeah. has no point. <laughs> but when does Crispin Glover not play Crispin Glover? <laughs> Even when Never. he's being interviewed, yeah. he plays Crispin Glover. Yeah, uh, I read something about, and I you can fact check me on it. But he's a very interesting person. We all know that. But interesting is <laughs> a strong word. I'm trying to be nice. Um, so he invited he invited Leah Thompson. He said they want he wanted to do a bonding experience to help strengthen their nope. you know, their <laughs> no <laughs> hard pass. Yeah. Crispin. So they went to his, so they went to his apartment and painted like one of the walls in his apartment, uh, which she said was not the most fun experience, but. She did say they'd help them kind of bond better for the movie. It's like, okay. Well, that explains their terrible chemistry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And why he never appears again. Right, right. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. All right, Thomas F. Wilson as Biff Tannen. Uh, so, DeLuise was also considered, as well as Billy Zane, Tim Robbins, and J.J. Cohen. <laughs> Billy Zane just got pushed to the back. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Poor Billy Zane. He just tried and tried. Hey, at least he got some lines in the sequels. He didn't talk at all in the first one. <laughs> Bless his heart. Cohen was not considered intimidating enough against Stoltz, and the role went to <clears throat> Thomas F. Wilson, his first feature starring role, and one of his only feature starring roles. Uh, Zane and Cohen were cast as Biff's minions Match and Skinhead instead. Tannen's name was taken from Universal Studios executive T- Ned Tannen, who had been unpleasant with Gale and Zemeckis when they were making one of their previous movies. So. <laughs> What's the greatest revenge? That'll show them. Yeah. <laughs> I'll name you after a bad guy in my movie about time travel. Right. 
And then his other uh, lackey was uh, Casey Seismico. Yep, from Young Guns. Young Guns. Uh, was that 3D? Th- three o'clock eye. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he was wearing the 3D glasses. Yeah, he was yeah. 3D. Hey, uh, uh, Danny Johnson here. Um, thanks for having me back. Back to the Future is um, some of my favorite movies for several reasons. Um, as a kid, it was um, it was certainly wondrous and new, and you know the technology and the possibility, and it just I didn't even think about tra- time travel or whatnot. Um, but as a as a father now. Um, when my son came to me years, a couple of years ago and said, Hey, I'm really getting into these movies. Uh, have you ever seen them? It's the back to the future <laughs> movies, which got me thinking and remembering I worked with Biff and Tom Wilson, very funny comedian and actor best known as Biff. He, he also does a ton of stuff for SpongeBob SquarePants. He's a lot of uh, several voices on SpongeBob. Um, I got to work with him in the comedy club of Jacksonville, which is now closed, not because of him or me, but it's now closed. And uh, it was Thursday, one show Thursday, two Friday, two Saturday. So I'm extremely nervous. I'm the feature act. So I'm the middle guy doing 30 minutes in front of him. Um, I meet him Thursday night. He is a giant man. He is, I'm 5'10". He has to be, I don't know, 6'4", but thick. Like, I grew up with a bunch of these Irish Catholic guys in my life, family and friends up on Long Island, New York. And he's one of them. He's just a big, thick dude. And his face is very animated and he's very boisterous. Is that a word? And I met him and he's like, hey, Danny, how are you? Good to see you. And it's just a you know, big mitts are, are shaking my hand. And well, we have a wonderful show Thursday night. I drive him back to his hotel. So I'm driving Biff in my 2006 Toyota Tundra with 260,000 miles on it. And in my head, I'm like, you know, we're definitely not doing any time travel in this this thing. (laughs) And I just, he has to see me kind of peeking over at him. Like he's just doing his little thing on his little phone or whatever, talking here and there. And, uh, you know, I'm eyeballing him. So Friday night, we do the same thing. But after the show Friday, two shows Friday, he goes, hey, I, I need some snacks. I need to get some snacks for the hotel. I'm like, all right, we'll stop at a store. And the only thing open at that hour, really, in that area on the way was Daly's, the gas station. Um, it never closes. And we go, <laughs> we go in there, and I'm walking in with Biff. It was a surreal moment. It's just me and Biff. And there's no one in there. The two kids working there had to be not even 21. Little skinny little dudes working there, um, half asleep. It's like one in the morning. And um, they don't give him a second glance at all. They just, you know, and he's in there. He's making all this noise in the aisle. He's like grabbing different stuff and moving it around. And then he's yelling at me. He's like, I hear him from the back of the store. He's like, did you want a snack? You want beef jerky? You want Tic Tacs? You want, what do you want for you? And, and, and he's holding, I look over, he's holding Gatorades, beef jerkies, a couple of chip bags. And I was like, I stammered a little bit. I was like, I don't, I don't even know. He's like, it's too late. I already asked you. I already asked you if you wanted it. It's too late. So I'm, he's checking out. I'm standing next to him like I'm some sort of snack bodyguard or something. And the kid's just ringing it up. Having no, and I'm just staring at this 20-year-old kid. And I'm like, you're talking to Biff. You're ringing up Biff. I'm not. And to him, it looks like, you know, it's some two creepy guys. <laughs> 
one loud that wants to eat Tic Tacs, Gatorade, and beef jerky at night. And um, so we go back to, I drop out the hotel Saturday night, similar experience, snacks, everything like that. Um, he was such a wonderful guy to work with, not only funny, very theatrical, but he has a big theater background, very theatrical, does a lot of music in his uh, act, his guitar act, and a lot of stand-up, super nice with the fans. He's not a big hey, let's talk about Back to the Future guy. Uh, he'd rather, you know, live on the merits of his talent as a stand-up. Um, so he has a song in his act that addresses every Back to the Future question that every fan has ever asked him. You know, it just kind of, it's really silly. It's like, it was, is Michael J. Fox nice? Yes, okay. And then he just goes on and on with these questions, one-liners, and the beat lined up to it. Um, I asked him what he used to record his... Uh, SpongeBob SquarePants characters and other shows he's voiced over for, and he, and he was kind enough to text me, um, you know, the uh, the device that he used and the, and the something called a dead kitten, which freaked me out, and which is the stuff that muffles the microphone, you know, the, um, so the P's and whatever T's don't pop. So great minute. Cut to cut to the next. A couple months, my son goes, I'm a big fan. I go, oh, oh, this is great. I worked with Biff. I know Biff. I don't really know him, know him, right? I text him. I go, hey, can you send me a headshot signed to my son with his name? He goes, and I didn't hear a response via text. Two weeks later in the mail is a headshot from Biff addressed to my son. And it's now hanging up uh, in his room. It was the coolest. I'm the coolest dad ever, you know. But that's it. That's my favorite Back to the Future moments. Um, both the movie and, you know, as it relates to my family, too. What are you looking at, butthead? Uh, moving right along, Claudia Wills as Jennifer Parker in this movie and this movie only. Uh, but actually, Melora Hardin was cast as Jennifer Parker oh. on a two-film mm-hmm. contract after Stoltz was replaced. Damn. Yeah, the, the crew were concerned about Hardin being taller tall. than Fox. The female crew overwhelmingly voted Marty should not be shorter than his girlfriend. So the crew made the decision. Uh, Harden was replaced by Claudia Wells, who had been earlier offered the role, but turned it down because of her commitment to the short-lived TV series Off the Rack. I really think Melora Harden would have done a really good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she, she is, is tall. She's yeah. tall, but I... And I mean, I get it. But, uh, I don't know. I still think she would have done a good job. Yeah. And they still didn't find someone shorter than Michael J. No, Claudia Wells is like exactly the same height. <laughs> yeah. It's probably a struggle. And then with the hair, she's like a whole inch yeah. taller. Yeah, yeah, the hair didn't help. So oh. she's pretty bland. Sorry. No. But she's a cousin, I guess. Because she's got the last name Wells. Right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's how names work. Yeah. Everybody's my cousin. Yeah. We're gonna get you I'm gonna get you a subscription to Ancestry.com, we'll find out. <laughs> Thanks for being part of the show. All right. Uh, a few, uh, of course, we got to talk about James Tolkien as Principal Strickland. Uh, of course, I know him from Top Gun and Masters of the Universe. Let's not forget he was in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the cameo that we cannot forget is singer and soundtrack contributor Huey Lewis cameos as the Battle of the Bands judge. Lewis agreed to appear as long as he was uncredited and could wear a disguise. Was it a disguise, though? No, it wasn't. It was a megaphone. Yeah. <laughs> it was a disguise. Well, it's glasses, too, so it's a Superman. Yeah, Clark it's Clark Kent. Kent. Yeah. yeah. Hold up now. Do we have the <laughs> Superman reference? Because Marty's older brother is Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Olsen. That is true. true. That is true. I did not I did not include the, the siblings. Yeah. So glad to put that in there. Let's not forget. Yep. Mark McClure. 
<laughs> Jimmy Olsen. That's why you're here, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but you, Lewis, has one of my favorite lines. You're just too darn loud, which now that I'm getting older, that line pops in my head <laughs> way more than I want it to. I go to restaurants now, and the music's not even that loud, but I'm like, it's, it's kind of loud yeah, in here. Yeah. Sorry, kids. You're just, you're just too darn loud. I, I don't want to go to live band tonight. It's, I just I can't. I want to talk, and I can't hear people. Right, right. So anybody else in the cast we want to talk about, or do you have a favorite character besides Marty or Doc? Maybe a side character? Goldie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Goldie Goldie Wilson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Goldie. Mayor Goldie Wilson. I like the sound of that. I'll be mayor. Yeah. That is so good. He's he's going to school. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good. That's it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a good one. I'm I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dissing it at all. So, all right. Well, let's talk about iconic scenes, favorite scenes. What's not an iconic scene in this movie? Yeah. You just gotta pick one or two. I mean, Johnny Be Good. Johnny right. Be Good. Off, off the top of my head, the yeah. Johnny Be Good performance. Although I still, I said this when we were watching, Bethany and I were watching it. As soon as he starts singing, I said, "Do they really expect us to believe that's Michael J. Fox singing?" <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. No. no. I think I would remember being a child thinking like, "That's not him." Right. Right. I mean, he's he's very believable at playing the guitar. Yes. Which he's oh, not yes. doing. Mm-hmm. But that is so a bad choice of a, mm-hmm. a singing voice for Michael J. Fox. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that would uh, just pick one off top. Johnny Be Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My favorite is definitely the introduction to the DeLorean. That's yes. Oh, I, if I could have any car on planet Earth, <laughs> it would be a DeLorean. <laughs> I kid you. I kid you not. And so that just the introduction and then the the Twin Pines, uh, that whole scene mm-hmm. is just so good. So DeLorean's great. Love the DeLorean. I, I made a model car of the DeLorean. Uh, I have a Hot Wheel of the DeLorean. Love the DeLorean. Mm-hmm. But to pop a bubble on that scene, how did Doc Brown get into the DeLorean? How did he drive it out? It out. Yeah. yeah. Because it fit perfectly into that trailer. <laughs> <laughs> so how did he get in? And there's no window. The window was like yeah. not even... I've never I'm, thought about that. Yeah. I didn't either. Yeah. How did he get in it to back it out? <laughs> Don't ruin this movie for me, man, Larry. That's not why I brought you here. He <laughs> the whole time. Then why did you bring him here? As soon as we start talking about the time travel. Right. Again, there's a whiteboard. I have diagrams. <laughs> Y'all, it has been we'll a long week of show, watching this movie with the show, him. The show notes may be, multi, may be in parts two and three as well. It's, uh, gonna, it's just going to be that meme from, uh, what is it, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah with, with uh, Charlie. Charlie yeah. Yeah. This is why it doesn't work, I'm telling you. Uh, oh, my goodness. Any other scenes? Come on, what you got, Chad? Your favorite movie of all time. Uh, my favorite. Uh, I love the, uh, the speaker in the beginning. The very yeah. When he plugged up his guitar, oh, yeah, yeah. the speaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm you know... Are those my clocks I hear? Yeah, it's, it's 8 o'clock. Yeah. What are 25 minutes? Well, I'm late for school. Yeah. And here yeah. uh, it starts up. You oh, know, yeah, yeah. Just, that just from then on. whole scene is so neat. And it's just rife with, like, little Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is just me being a nerd or what, but the time starts at 753, which is the year 753 B.C. is the year that Rome was founded. And so I don't okay, know if that, wow. like, falls okay. in line. That wasn't in my notes anywhere. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. back pocket for the, just such a time as this. <laughs> I knew taking three years of Latin would pay off. 
Let's see, I just noticed the Harold Lloyd hanging off the clock. Well, there's yeah. that, yeah. and then there's the, the drunk that's in the... And I feel like that's the reference to the drunk that's in all three movies. It's, yeah. a, it's well, the same actor. The same actor. drunk driver. Yeah. the mayor in 1955. Yes. Oh, is he? Yes. Red, I never uh, realized Red, that. Red yes. yes. Well, because... But I, because there's the clock where it's the drunk guy in the, in the doorway or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just trying to write down all the little Easter eggs I noticed. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that opening sequence is like, you know, we talk about like great filmmaking. That opening sequence is so smart because it's, you think that's not doing much is kind of slowly panning this this, mm-hmm. wall, you know, room of clocks, and you see the the. Uh, experiments or the the inventions that Doc has been working on, which you haven't even met Doc yet. Right. You don't know who he is. You don't know who anyone is. But you know exactly who he is. Yeah, yeah. It's like you can see that he's, you know, all the different things he's trying to put together. And then you have the TV with about the plutonium being stolen. And, uh, you know, it just it's a lot of exposition that's kind yeah. of setting the thing and everything in motion without having to sit through a whole bunch of exposition yeah. later yeah. in the movie. Which and when Marty awesome. runs off, you see the box for yes. the plutonium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's just very smart, very smart writing and filmmaking for sure. And you see inside that same sequence the the newspaper of his mansion being built Mm -hmm. burned down. Right, right. And that's how he got his money. Mm -hmm. And then that garage is that garage in 1955 next to the mansion. So Mm -hmm. that mansion should have been for all that, you know, industry. Yeah, the Burger King and everything else. Burger King on the side, yeah. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Very cool. What other scenes do we want to? talk about i mean we mentioned this earlier him on the the skateboard mm-hmm. riding behind the truck just all of those like iconic marty being super cool mm-hmm. scenes oh yeah yeah and it's usually involving him with a skateboard oh and inventing the skateboard i guess yeah, yeah he invented <laughs> the skateboard <laughs> he just ripped off that kid's thing right what is he doing you broke it yeah. he invents a lot of stuff in these movies <laughs> which which leads me also going back to the the um the Johnny B. Good mm-hmm. when Marvin Berry has Chuck listen. Right. Now, Bethany points out he only listens to a small portion of the song. Mm-hmm. But it makes the question so who actually wrote that song? <laughs> By the time Marvin calls, the song is over and he's gotten into his weird guitar riff. Yeah. But how, again, how does Chuck Berry write the identical song? Marvin Berry's like, I don't know. It was something about a boy in Louisiana. Run with it. Yeah. So it's just and, I, and not to burst that bubble, but I think that song was written before 1955. So. <laughs> he was like, that dude stole my song. There we go. So, so maybe he just. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's possible. Maybe he wasn't going to release it until he heard Marty playing it. Maybe. And he's like, ah. Okay. Maybe it is a good song. That could work, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh We talked about the somewhat troublesome plot of, you know, so Marty gets hit by by the car instead of George. So, of course, Lorraine, his mother, quote, unquote, falls in love with her future son and... And Marty's first words to her are, you're so huh. You're so hot. It's your mom. And your first thought is that she's hot. You're so hot, mom. Once again, we're not trying to ruin we're not trying to ruin this movie. We're just talking about things that come up, okay? Then don't watch movies with Laramie. 
It's all part of the process. And the whole Calvin Klein joke. <laughs> yeah. That was funny. Which yeah. I yeah. never understood why he didn't just go by the name Calvin Klein for the movie instead that would of. Would be very confusing for me. I mean, it's yeah. like in the third movie, he goes by the name Clint, Clint Eastwood, Eastwood yeah. because he's trying not he's trying to avoid the connection mm. to the fact that his name is Marty McFly. And so I don't understand why he didn't go by the name Calvin Klein for all of the first movie. Which we're gonna jump to the end of the movie here. Sorry. The fact that his name is Marty, he mm. goes by the name Marty, and at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. oh yeah, Lorraine says, "Marty, that's such a good name." But yet he's the third. But yet child he's the third Lord. child. Yeah, I really like that name. Not enough to name it my first child. But I like after Dave that. first. Yeah, but like Dave's a better name, but Marty. Maybe if I have three children, the I third one. Maybe they looked at him and said, "No, I just don't like a Marty yet. We'll just we'll yeah. try." You again. are not cool enough to be Marty. <laughs> You get Dave. Well, <laughs> Lorraine's dad was named Sam, so maybe George's dad was David, and they yeah. named him after George's dad. It's possible. I'm trying, uh, to, trying to throw maybe. something there. There you go. Know. Yeah. Let's connect all the dots that don't need to be connected Look, at all. I see those straws you're grasping. <laughs> yes. yes. I'm trying. Can't ruin my perfect movie. <laughs> <laughs> trying to. It's a great movie. I love this it movie. Yeah. It is not a perfect movie. No. 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 With their art. Any really? Well, there's the Shawshank but <laughs> let's continue. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> we have the '90s podcast. 90s, I'll pull coals yeah, cool. on your movie. No, <laughs> and now these messages. Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D. of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gag Me With The Spoon, The Other Half Of The Battle, and Chant With The Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. So many great memories from the movie Back to the Future. But I think one of my favorite scenes was the one where Marty dresses up like a space alien to go and talk to George and basically talk him into asking out Lorraine for the first time. Uh, Something George, of course, never would have done, but Marty used his uh, influence and knowledge of the future with some 
high, you know, clashy rock and roll and some uh, really awesome suit. And he said things that uh, were, were space relevant to the future and uh, basically said, frightened, I guess, George into doing that for the first time. Uh, obviously, it was very integral to the plot, but I just thought the scene was pretty cool and very, very creative uh, by the writers and how they worked that through the plot. Also, uh, on a personal note, it was this is just an interesting sidelight, but my high school physics teacher basically was a doppelganger of George McFly in real life. He was the same build and height, you know, thin little guy, and and I, you know. Bless his heart, I'm not going to say his name on here to protect the innocent, but, you know, kind of nerdy a little bit, and um, uh, he had, he moved really slowly, and he talked kind of slow like George McFly did. I mean, it was just an uncanny, uncanny likeness, and uh, something that just kept me entertained uh, through high school that year that I took physics, but a super fantastic movie, lots of things you could draw from, but that's one of my favorites. Last night, Darth Vader came down from Planet Falcon and told me that he'd melt my brain. All right, well, let's talk a little bit of some scenes and trivia. Maybe it'll, it'll of course, it usually sparks our memory about some other great scenes. Uh, well, it's going to touch on some we've already talked about as well. So the sticker on the amp Marty plugs into at the beginning reads CRM114. Anybody know what this refers to? Dr. Strange Love. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> I don't understand it, Tim. Explain it yeah. to me. Okay. <laughs> this is the name of a device from Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove and in the novel Red Alert that loosely inspired that film. It was also reused by Kubrick in A Clockwork Orange as Serum 114 and Eyes Wide Shut. It's one of those codes that has cropped up in various places as a geeky nod ever since. I'm sorry. Yeah, geeky nod ever since from Star Trek Deep Space Nine to Men in Black 3. Interesting. Mm. I knew it was Dr. Strange, though. That's all I knew. That's all you knew. Okay. Yeah. thought it was interesting. Uh, this is something I thought was interesting because I always wondered about why the peanut brittle. It's a remnant of a deleted scene from just after Marty arrives home in which George is coerced into buying a huge amount of the stuff from his neighbor's daughter, presumably intended to show how spineless he is. It's also kind of redundant when you have the Biff scene immediately following. So while it's amusing, it's not hard to see why it was cut. Isn't this also connected to the California Raisins uh, oh, yeah. bit where it was supposed to be Marty at one point supposed to be offered a bowl of California Raisins, but they cut it because it looked like he was just being offered a bowl of dirt? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read that, but that's yeah. possible. I know I know California Raisins wanted to be advertised. They paid so like $100,000, yeah. and they were supposed to be featured in several points of the movie. Right. And the only one that's in there is the bench, is the bench that the bum's laying that's, on. You can barely see. Yeah. So they sued them and got their money back yeah. for, for not but I, being I, a I heard that there was, at one point, he was supposed to be, yeah. I, I thought, maybe it was, instead of the peanut brittle oh, yeah, it yeah. was supposed to be the raisins possible but, yeah I know I saw the deleted scene mm-hmm. the guy who plays the neighbor is uh, his name is Terry McGovern mm-hmm. who is the voice of Launchpad McQuack in DuckTales nice. and Darkwing Duck and he was also in um, American Graffiti okay that's one of that's why I love first DuckTales the the American th- Graffiti well, well okay <laughs> vice versa but <laughs> Are you that, to that's say my, I'm, my priority. Right, Duck exactly. Tales. Duck Tales I'm not judging. Ducktales needs to be a beginning of that. Clarifying priorities. Okay. But I'm I'm a big fan of his, and he, so I I actually started eating peanut brittle because I saw that 
I'm like, oh, well, he oh, did. Yeah. Was in Back to the Future and did that, and I want pretty brittle then. <laughs> Peanut brittle. I, I, had had a, before, so. I had a neighbor, around the time this movie came out, I, we had a neighbor next door. It was an older couple, retired couple, and they always had peanut brittle in a candy dish when we went over there. And so, yeah. Good times in yeah. the South. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It was uh, during the summer. We'd go over there when it was the hottest part of the afternoon. Oh, so the peanut brittle was all stuck together. <laughs> it was all stuck together. <laughs> You'd but pick we, up one and it was the shape of the bowl. But we would go to his house because he was always watching a Braves game in oh, the afternoon. Yeah. Because it was on TBS. Well, so. you got lucky. All I had was uh, with those hard candies that taste horrible. Yeah, yeah. Safety pins and car keys <laughs> in the candy bowl. So, yeah, good old hard candy from the eighties. Yeah, it looked it looked so appetizing, and then you tasted it. It was like <laughs> well, it was just brightly colored. Yeah, it's red. It must taste good. Why does it taste like cough syrup? It's uh, a cough drop. Right. Thanks, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> you good, Charlie? Yeah, you're so quiet. <laughs> I don't. I, yeah, <laughs> it's okay. We'll get you. We'll get you talking in a minute. Uh, although it's not set on screen, the son of old man Peabody the farmer is named in the credits as Sherman, making their monikers a direct reference to the time traveling cartoon duo who originally appeared on the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. Sherman Peabody. Yep. Quiet you. <laughs> so good. My pie! (laughs) (laughs) That is a fun little thing that they do in the movie where Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the movie, and you've just got to be paying attention, is at the beginning they're at the Twin Pines Mall. Exactly. He runs over the one tree, and at the end it's the Lone Pines Mall. Yep, genius. Yep. It's Uh, because he's in a different universe. (laughs) Don't get Laramie started. We may have to have a separate mini episode for Ron. I mean, so, so Laramie can just. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I've been waiting, but I'm going to say it. Marty McFly never returned home. That's no, he it. He couldn't have. Marty McFly never returned home. He replaced another Marty McFly. Then what happened to the other Marty McFly? We don't know. That's that's another movie. Did he just... But he watches that Marty McFly well, leave. Yeah, he we watches does. that one leave. That's right. And then he replaces him. That Marty McFly knows everything that happened growing up rich. That Marty McFly is aware of that past. Mm -hmm. And is going to watch himself do all the things that he did in the whole beginning of the movie. Which also leads me to this. Why was that Marty McFly... why, Why does he go back to 1955? Like... I, I don't... I, yeah. It, it gets confusing. Like, okay. I know that... Uh, Doc Brown sets the time because it's when he went, you know, he came up with the idea, and so yeah. that's why he sets the timer. Right. But but why when that Marty goes back, what would he have changed? Why is he still friends with Doc even though he grew up rich? Yeah, you know, that's what I'm saying. You think yeah, Marty yeah. growing up poor would yeah. be yeah. friend Doc because he was just uh, nothing about And the, the 1955 he would be going back to, his dad did punch out Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Biff. And so, not only would he be friends with Doc, why would they still be living in that house? Yeah, I've always, I, that that yeah. part has always yeah. bothered me. Is like, I mean, it looks nicer it looks on the nice. inside, on yeah. the inside, but it's still it's still that house. It's still that house, which yeah. means like they were richer, but they weren't necessarily rich. Quote unquote is what I was was my somewhat thought, but yeah. But Marty Marty is now le- living someone else's life. Mm-hmm. He Marty did not return home. He got that truck at the end, which that was nice. which I loved. Yeah, that was my so. dream car for a long time. 
check out that four. Well, you know, because I couldn't get a DeLorean, but I was like, I can get that that Toyota. <laughs> okay, Laramie, my brain hurts from all of your exposition and, and, and There's theories. There's so much red string on the wall, you guys. It's scary in here. Uh, we'll post his somewhat legible notes uh, <laughs> later. Uh, but I, I did read this that I thought was interesting, which doesn't necessarily refute what you're saying. It's just another aspect. At the end, when he chose him the book, when George chose him the book, he says, you know, if you put your mind to it, you can do anything, which is exactly what Marty said to him when 55. So the line could be seen as something that answers what people often bring up as one of the nagging questions, which is why don't Lorraine and George in the new 1985 remember Marty? A simple answer would be, who says they don't? Maybe they do. Maybe they've had a conversation about it, either between themselves or with Marty, who doesn't remember himself because, having traveled in time, he doesn't seem to have the memories of the new, quote-unquote, Marty's life. And this line is a little nod to that. You're also asking that two people remember a guy guy they met met 30 years ago. Yeah, for like four days. Yeah. That they knew for four days. Yeah. Of, of their teenage He made life. an impact, but not that yeah. that significant There impact. are people that I was very close friends with in high school mm-hmm. that I saw every day. Mm-hmm. Could not point them out on a street right now. I wouldn't know their name if you if you asked nah. me. Yeah. yeah. And even remember the name, like being able to clearly identify what they looked like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be... Which then I want to know, could, like he tells them to be, you know, if their kid, you know, burns the carpet, be nice to them. Did they, even, did they even remember that? Did they even still no, happen? No, they didn't remember that. They didn't remember that. <laughs> I don't remember what my kid just said to me. <laughs> the joys of parenting. <laughs> I'm so tired. Because you're talking about this was 1955, and you're talking 13 years later mm-hmm. is when Marty's born. Right. So, they no, they didn't remember it. Yeah. But it's still a fun movie. Yeah. <laughs> we still like it, Laramie. Yeah. Don't be I'm mad at us. I'm not saying we don't. I'm not saying we don't. But a time travel movies have will, will always get me to break them down as to the logic behind them. You know. I mean, going back, we talked about uh, the opening scene with all the clocks. I mm-hmm. mean, that was direct homage to the time machine. Right, mm-hmm. right. Because the exact same, uh, the main character of the time machine has a room filled with clocks. Mm-hmm. There's so, definitely an homage yeah. there. All right, well, a few other scenes we'll cover uh, as we start to wrap this part up. So I like this. Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the longer deleted version of the scene, Marty also makes reference to George having, quote-unquote, caused a riff in the space-time continuum. Oh, no, not that. And, the supreme, um, uh, and to the supreme Klingon. And in an earlier script draft, he goes on further saying, quote, This is no dream. You're having a close encounter of the third kind. You have reached the outer limits of the Twilight Zone. So he kind of threw every wow. every sci-fi reference he could think of uh, in that scene. But that that's one of my favorite scenes. The uh, yeah, is him in the in the suit. And there's some people think it's a it's an error because in that scene he has a hair dryer, like looks like a gun in his belt. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, how would he have a hair dryer? Because a hair dryer didn't exist in 1955. Where there's another deleted scene where. I think Marty is going through Doc's suitcase when it was in the yeah. DeLorean from oh, originally, yeah. and in and, and the hairdryer was there. So that's where it would have been. It was there. That's where he got it from. So yeah. I thought that was an Makes interesting, sense. interesting uh, little tidbit. And the music was Edward Van Halen. Right, not yep. Van Halen. Not Van Halen, but just something Eddie played. Yeah, 
for for them. Yeah, Van the the band Van Halen will not give them the rights. So Eddie Van Halen said he and he he called it just noise, like he didn't even think it was anything real music. It was just some extra recording stuff he had that he gave to them, which I thought was really cool. My favorite Van Halen song (laughs) (laughs) that he called just noise. Right. So we talked about the uh, Chuck Berry scene. There's more than just the reference of Chuck Berry. In case you missed any of them, Marty also pays tribute to Pete Townsend by kicking the amp, Angus Young of ACDC by lying on his back, Jimi Hendrix by having the guitar behind his back, and Eddie Van Halen, the tapping guitar technique, which I yep. thought was cool. Like, I knew those were all references to people, but I never put together who they were. Any other scenes we want to talk about? I still don't know how the band knew what song he was going to play. <laughs> he told them it's a jazz riff with... Yeah, <laughs> and just try to keep up, and they were yeah. very good at keeping up. Can we just talk about? So, can we talk about Earth Angel, and how he gets a verse into the song, and then all of a sudden cannot play the guitar anymore, and yet they keep. It's like we can't do They're this. They're all so, just like yeah. this we, guy's collapsing, right. but I gotta finish my song. But the know? thing was, we can't go on without a guitar player, and you get a guitar player that it's melting down. A minute yeah. of the song yeah. says, "I can't play." And like, then why did you pick up the guitar? You know. Yeah. yeah. But. Uh, I would like to bring up the fact, and this kind of overarchs the whole series, all the women in these movies are just sidelined and fridged, and the second one especially. But, like, Lorraine can't do anything without someone trying to assault her. (laughs) This is true. Although she assaults Marty. Like, I just want to throw that one in. But that, it was his idea. Like, he was like, I got a great idea, everybody. In order to get my dad to fall in love with my mom, I'm going to take her in the car. I'm going to try to assault her. And then my dad's going to save the day. And that's the best case scenario for this plan. Which is weird because he knew his dad. He knew his dad. How did he know his dad was going to even go out there and do that? (laughs) He didn't. Yeah. And this is the part of the this part of the podcast we call problematic moments in '80s movies. Yeah, that Laramie and uh, Bethany love to bring up. Go ahead. It just upsets me very no, much. I, get I it. mean, this poor woman, and like her whole life, like at the beginning, it's kind of pathetic. She's very unhappy. Mm-hmm. She talks about how she fell in love with her husband, and and it was a weird love story originally. The Florence Nightingale effect. Yes. And she's basically spent her whole time, you find out later, trying to persuade her kids to not have the life she had. Mm-hmm. She's like, I never called a boy. I never. Yes, she did. I never yeah, smoked. Never smoked. Yeah. I, yeah. And she did all of that stuff. And she's trying to shame her kids into not doing it because she regrets all of her decisions up to that point. You know, like hiring the guy that tried to rape you when you were exactly, and and he does that constantly. And it's that doesn't just happen at the end of the movie. That happens throughout the movie. Every time Biff is around Lorraine, he like looks at her and jeers at her and touches her in a way that she is visibly uncomfortable and says, "Stop it! I don't like it." Mm. And yet. It's fine. I guess the He 50s. waxes their cars. <laughs> yeah. Here, come around our kids guy that right. tried to hurt your mother, right. who used to bully your dad, who's definitely constantly looking for ways to get back at us. Mm-hmm. Come spend time with us all the time. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that was one of the big things I saw was 
George punches Biff in the face once, and all mm. of a sudden changes his entire. <laughs> yeah. He's all of a sudden yeah. he can't he can't stand up for himself, and, and, now, and he it becomes his yeah. employer. The moral of the story, employee. everybody, is just punch that guy one time. <laughs> yeah. What I, yeah, what always kind of it's funny, and you're like, once again, it's a movie. You, we, we take it we take it for what it's what it's worth, but watching Biff become like, oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. McFly. Like, that's so out of character. That's not like, happen. It just... It, it's... He would be in jail. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But, you know, there is this, and I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I don't... It's just a fun fact, fan theory, you know, one of those, like, conspiracy theories is that Marty McFly is actually the son of Biff. Ew. Oh, mm. Yeah. It's a bad theory. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, I hate that a lot. Yeah. But it's all about because... Why else would Biff be so close and still come around and, you know, say hello to your mother for me? You know, all this. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you want to go on a deep dive on the internet, have at it. But uh, I would no not. Thanks. I don't like that internet. <laughs> yeah. But but again, with all that that we're picking apart, this yeah. movie, such great, it's like, really romp. story building. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. the fact that they set everything up, you know, they set the pins up, they knock them down. Mm-hmm. You know, they they line everything up. They connect everything so well. I, like there, I don't really think there's there is any really like thread that is left undone. Right, right. In this story, yeah. I really don't. Yeah, and the cool thing too about, and we'll talk about this as we get in part two of this two parter. We'll talk about two and three, which was never considered when this. Fir- it was only going to be yeah. a single movie, and of course they had to create. Parts two and three, which is why it's a little problematic, and we'll get to that too. But uh, are a lot problematic, as Bethany's faith <laughs> just says. That was their perfect movie? <laughs> no, but no, sir. But like you said, but <laughs> great movie, yes. Perfect movie, not. Nah. Yeah, but like you said, it's it. It was a very good self-contained movie that, yeah, a little open-ended at the end. Which yeah, but they, that's fine. But that's fine. Yeah. But like you said, the. Everything that needed to be explained in the one single movie was explained without leaving anything undone, which is which is good filmmaking. So, bravo. Which is why I only saw the first one for like the first twenty five <laughs> years of my life. Yeah, yeah. It's the one that I. It's the one that I prefer to watch repeatedly. Um, and we'll get into the sequels. So let's talk a little bit about box office, and we'll wrap this this part one up. So initially, Back to the Future was scheduled to be released in May of 1985, but was pushed back to June 21st, the earliest Zemeckis could have the film ready. The delay caused by Stoltz's replacement pushed the release back to July 19th, and again again later to August. Scheinberg moved the release date forward to July 3rd, giving it an extra 16 days of theatrical screen time during the industry's most profitable period of the year. The move offered about 100,000 extra screenings worth an estimated $40 million. Scheinberg said he also wanted to avoid the negative perception of films released later in the summer instead of early like other blockbuster films. The change required negotiations with theater owners to secure screens in an already crowded marketplace. In some cities, it was, it was legally required that exhibitors be shown a film prior to purchase. An unfinished cut of the film was shown to theater owners and young test audiences. They described it as not the same level as E.T., or Ghostbusters, but still a guaranteed box office hit. So I thought that was kind of interesting. The film earned $3.6 million during the opening uh, Wednesday and Thursday. During the inaugural weekend, it earned a further $11.3 million, an average of $7,000 per theater. 
Back to the Future finished as the number one film of the weekend ahead of The Western Pale Rider, which made $7 million in its second weekend, and Rambo First Blood Part Two, that made $6.4 million in its seventh week. It retained the number one position in its second weekend with a further gross of $10 million ahead of debuting action film Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome and Cocoon. It remained number one in its third weekend ahead of the re-release of E.T. and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. In its fourth weekend, it fell briefly to number two behind National Lampoon's European Vacation. Oh. (laughs) It returned to number one in the fifth weekend and remained there for the following eight weeks. The film remained a steady success through September, and by October it had surpassed Rambo First Blood Part Two, $149 million box office earnings to become the year's highest grossing film with $155 million. There's a lot of information. <laughs> <laughs> but it made a lot of money, is basically what I'm trying to say. And it stayed in the theaters for a long time, which we've talked on previous episodes about, you know, now movies will stay in maybe a month, maybe, and then it's on VOD. Mm-hmm. Uh, Two months after that. Two months after. I mean, there are <clears throat> a lot of times they already know when it's going to be on VOD when it releases. So uh, it's cool to think about movies like this that stayed in the theater for such a long time because, and I'm sure that was multiple, you know, people going back for repeat repeat uh, viewings as well. So, all right. So Rotten Tomatoes has it at 96% on the tomato meter with a 94% audience score. IMDb is 8.5 out of 10 with an 87. Mm, IMDb is a little low. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so, but I'm good with the I'm good with the audience score of ninety four percent. Yeah, mid nineties sounds sounds fair. What you think, Charlie? Yeah, I would agree. I'm just not sure how eight point five equals eighty seven. So IMDb, <laughs> check your math. <laughs> well, no, eight point five eight point five is the audience, and then eighty seven oh, is okay. the critics. Gotcha. So two different things. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> You that. want to retract your straight? Yeah, scratch that. <laughs> I'll edit it. I apologize, IMDb. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you have to at least go up to 88. You have to. Yeah. 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 You have mm-hmm. to. He's missed so many opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> I do like this movie. Good. Even though I'm bad. It's a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. It brings me a lot of, like, I'll sit there with just a big smile on my face oh, yeah. watching it. Oh, yeah. This hits a lot of nostalgia. It's funny. This hits a lot of nostalgia buttons. For a movie that's not set in the 80s. Right. But yeah. it's still what considered one of the best 80s movies that takes place mainly in 1955. So, which I think yeah. is... which I think. I mean, none of the movies really take place in 1985. Yeah, yeah. there's like True. 30 yeah. minutes total in the 80s. <laughs> right, right. But of course, Huey Lewis soundtrack, the two mm-hmm. songs, Power of Love and Back in Time, were yeah. huge. Loved both of those. I actually had the cassette soundtrack of Back to the Future. What I hated about it was being a cassette is you had Power of Love, which was the first track, and then it was all the score yeah. Yeah. until the very end. And like so it was like the beginning of side one and the end of side two were the two Hugh Lewis songs. So uh but would that not work out if they were roughly the same length? Then after you finish Power of Love, you could flip immediately it. flip it over. It wasn't that smart back yeah. then. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, actually, I mean, I like the music. It was just like, you know, after a while, you're like, I just yeah. want to hear the Hugh Lewis song now. But yeah, probably so. Alan Silvestri, one of the best. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. For sure. Out there. Still doing his thing, too. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Well, and then this is just, I mean, it's iconic roles mm-hmm. for right. everybody, just about. Yeah. I mean, no one, Michael J. Fox, although he had a career. Mm-hmm. He did a television lot. Television-wise, he'll always be Alex P. Keaton. Right. But movie-wise, he's Marty McFly. Yeah, this was his breakout. Yeah. 
which was the funny thing is he had already finished making Teen Wolf, <laughs> and when they saw this was a hit, they released it like two months after, which is yeah. why it made so much money. Being a but it's not far, as good a far inferior movie. Yeah, it's not as good. <laughs> but um, people went to see it. But yeah. yeah, people still went to see it's it. It's enjoyable, I, but yeah. it's, it's not as good. It's exactly. just Michael J. Fox is so charming. Exactly. He's exactly. just naturally a charming individual. American. What was it? I was. It's the new Annie movie. I mean, it came out like in the last ten years. Yes. But there doesn't Michael J. Fox like support the other candidate yes. running against? <laughs> and Jamie Fox is like, I can't. Do that against Michael J. Fox. I want to vote for this guy now. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And the same thing, Christopher Lloyd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's always Leah forever. Thompson is so good in it. Yeah. Like, even though she's got a, she was dealt a bad hand. Yeah. Um, her poor character. Yeah. But but, but again, she is so. If she was not an important, strong character, mm-hmm. I don't know if the stakes would have worked quite as well. Yeah, but this is a movie. I think this is the movie you first think of when you think mm-hmm. of Leah Thompson. Oh, oh absolutely. Well, I mean, I think of Howard the Duck, but <laughs> nobody ever <laughs> needs to think about Howard the Duck ever, Laramie no. Michael. You apologize you right now. No, no, not you. Okay. No. Neither one of us have. It's on the list. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Howard the Duck yeah. that first time I saw it. it. <laughs> Eighty-five years. I was ago. also that scared 12. the crap out of me. The <laughs> alien. The, oh, at the, the end? Oh, yeah, yeah. There are just some movies you should never watch once you're 30. And that's one of them. <laughs> yeah. And then, again, I, I'm, I'm just running through the list. Crispin Glover, I mean... I mean no, Will, he's the rap I'm a Willard, guy. Yeah, I'm a Willard fan, so I do... <laughs> when I think of Crispin Glover, I think of Willard. Willard, yeah. But... And the Thin Man from uh, Charlie's Angels. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot, yeah, I forgot, yeah. I forgot awesome, that man. he's in Charlie's Angels. Mm-hmm. Playing Crispin Glover. Playing Crispin Glover. He's such a weirdo. I know he's a big fan of your podcast. I know. Sorry, Crispin. I appreciate your support, but but I'm not. But you know you're weird. I mean, it's not. We're not telling you something you don't already know. This movie is so iconic that you know when anyone after this has done time travel, there's usually a reference to Back to the Future, or there's an Easter egg to Back to the Future, and then they build a whole nother series Rick and Morty yep. which is just a parody <laughs> of, yeah. Yeah. of Marty and Doc, Doc. And Marty, yeah. Yeah. so yeah yeah all right well cool we'll continue the conversation as we dive into part back to the future part two and three on our next episode but I thank my wonderful panel that will continue no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Charlie speak up next time okay here we go <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, thanks for joining us for this episode. I'm Tim Williams for the 80s Quick Flashback Podcast, and we'll see you guys next time. I'm going to go find a different color marker. <laughs> thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. Hey, and while you're there, be sure to check out the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Well, that's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s Flick Flashback.
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.